Book One, Chapter Four of Saint Francis of Assisi, a Biography, by Johannes Jornson, translated by Thomas O'Connor Sloan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book One, Francis the Church Builder, Chapter Four, Francis becomes a soldier. For even now he was a long way from conversion. He had realized his soul's barrenness, but he had found nothing with which to fill it. As his convalescence progressed and his strength returned, in such measure did he return to his worldly life and trod again the same paths as before his sickness. The only difference was that he had no enjoyment now in the life he led. There was a sort of unrest in him that gave him no peace. There was a thorn in his soul that ceaselessly irritated him. More than ever he dreamed of great deeds, of strange adventures, and of achievements in strange and distant lands. And again the life of chivalry presented itself to him as the only one which would assuage his soul's indefinable longing to attain the highest. From his youth he had been intimate with the romances of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. He too would be a knight of the Holy Grail. He too would go out into the world, offer his blood for the cause of the greatest and highest, and, for this was not excluded from his thoughts, he could return home crowned with undying laurels. Just at this time the Middle Ages' long-standing dispute between emperor and pope had entered on a new phase. Henry the Sixth's widow had invoked the guardianship of Innocent the Third for the heir to the throne, afterwards the Emperor Frederick the Second. One of the oldest of the Emperor's generals, named Markwald, made the claim that it was he who, in virtue of the will, should properly be regent for king and kingdom. But Innocent had no idea of giving up what he had undertaken and was prepared to defend his cause with arms. The war was carried on in southern Italy because the widow Queen Constance, being heir to the Norman kings, was also Queen of Sicily. Innocent suffered for a long time, one defeat after another, until he entrusted his army to Duke Walter III of Brienne, who in the name of his Norman wife, Albinia, laid claim to Tarentum, this illustrious leader overcame the Germans in a series of defeats at Capua, at Lecce, at Barletta, and his fame spread over all Italy and inspired all the land. The Germans were hated everywhere. In Sicily, the word German signified coarse, impolite, unjust. The French troubadour Pierre Vidal wandered through Lombardy and sang sarcastic songs about the Germans. I would not be a nobleman in Friesland, he sang, if I had to hear the language they speak there. It sounds like geese, not like the language of men. All that was young, proud, and noble in Italy rose against the foreign dominion, and Walter of Brienne's name seemed to wave over inspired ranks like a banner blessed by the Pope. The national inspiration reached even Assisi, one of the nobles of the place, armed himself to go with a little troop to the aid of Walter's army in Apulia. As soon as Francis heard this, a feverish longing took possession of him. 
here was the chance he so long had wished for here was the moment which must not be allowed to escape now or never was the time the nobleman from assisi should take francis with him in his troop and duke walter should knight him with all his zeal francis pondered over the means of carrying this plan into effect he was seized by wild joy such as one feels when preparing for a new and as one may hope an entrancing epoch of life a sort of wonder-lust mastered him he ran rather than walked through the streets his friends found that his usual good humor had risen to an excessive height and asked him the reason therefore when he would answer with glittering eyes i know that i am now going to be a great prince it goes without saying that nothing was spared in equipping the young merchant's son for war one of his biographers says that all of his clothes were individual and costly this was what was to be expected in the extravagant and luxurious rich young man but what is also completely characteristic of him is that when just before starting he met one of his fellow travellers a nobleman and saw that he on account of his poverty could not clothe and arm himself properly francis gave all his costly equipment to him and took the nobleman's poor things in exchange engrossed as he was in the new life he naturally dreamt every night of war and weapons the very night after he had been so generous to the poor knight such a dream came to him and it seemed to him more pregnant with meaning than any of the others it seemed to him that he perhaps to bid farewell stood in his father's shop but instead of the rolls of goods which usually filled the shelves from floor to ceiling he saw now on all sides shining shields bright spears shining armor and as he wondered he heard a voice which said all this shall belong to you and to your warriors it was only natural that francis should take this dream for a good omen and one bright morning he sprang upon his horse to go with the rest of the little troop to apuya their road led them through the present porta nuovo to foligno and from foligno to spoleto here they approached the flaminian way the road to rome and south italy and here francis had nearly reached the goal of his warlike journey for the same hand which had formerly cast him upon a sick-bed to bring him to reflection and realization again grasped him in spoleto an attack of fever forced him to take to his bed and as he lay there between sleeping and waking it happened that he heard a voice asking him where he wanted to go to apuya to be a knight was the invalid's answer tell me francis who can benefit you most the lord or the servant the lord answered francis in astonishment then why do you desert the lord repeated the voice for the servant and the prince for his vassal then francis knew who it was who spoke to him and in the words of paul cried out lord what do you wish me to do but the voice answered go back to your home there it shall be told you what you are to do for the vision you saw must be understood 
in another way the voice ceased and francis awoke the rest of the night he lay awake but when morning came he silently arose saddled his horse and rode back to assisi in all his warlike equipment which now suddenly seemed to him so vain we do not know what reception awaited him at home but we can imagine it this like all his other eccentricities was undoubtedly soon forgiven him and for a good while he was again the centre of his friend's joyous circle soon the old life with feasting and enjoyment was in full swing again was francis the one who in spite of all had to be acknowledged as the leader of his circle of young men flos juvenum if his futile trip towards apulia was referred to he replied very definitely that he certainly had given it up but only to do great things in his own land he really had less confidence than he assumed opposing emotions contended in his soul now he listened to the voice of the world only now he longed to serve the lord whose inspiring voice had spoken so pleadingly to him that night in spoleto stronger and stronger the feeling arose in him to withdraw from all and in loneliness to become sure of his calling but if he sought friends no more they sought him and to avoid all appearance of parsimony he was the same luxurious host as before and thus it happened that one evening it was in the summer of twelve o five invitations were sent out in his usual way for a festival which was to be richer and more sumptuous than ever he was to be the king of the feast and when the table was cleared all joined in overwhelming him with praise and thanks after the dinner the company as usual went singing through the streets but francis who kept a little behind the others did not sing little by little he drooped behind his friends soon he was alone in the quiet night in some one of assisi's small steep streets or in one of its small open squares from which one looks out so far over the landscape and there it came to pass that the lord again visited him the heart of francis which was weary of the world and of its vanities was filled with such a sweetness that there was room for no other feeling he lost all consciousness of himself and if he had been cut to pieces limb by limb as he himself later told it he would not have known it would never have tried by a movement to escape it how long he stood there overcome by the heavenly sweetness he never knew he first came back to himself when one of his friends who had gone back in search of him called out hello francis are you thinking of your honeymoon and looking up to heaven where the stars were shining then now as in the serene august night the young man answered yes i am thinking of marrying but the bride i am going to woo is nobler richer and fairer than any woman you know then his friends laughed for a number had approached and the wine had made them loquacious then the tailor will again have a job just as when you started to apulia we may think some of them said with a sneer 
Francis heard their laughter and was angry, but not with them, for in sudden light the whole of his former life was before him in its folly, its lack of object, its childish vanity. He saw himself in all his pitiful reality, and in front of him stood in shining beauty the life he hitherto had not led, the true life, the just life, the beautiful, noble, rich life, life in Jesus Christ. In this aspect, Francis could be angry at no one but himself, and therefore the old legend says also that from that hour he began to value himself little. End of Book 1, Chapter 4